0: Integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. everyone to the be perfectly healthy podcast i'm your host leanne lindsay and today is a very very special interview because i'm facilitating a conversation between dr connealy and chris Wark from crispy cancer he is an amazing inspirational voice in the world of integrative cancer treatments he has his amazing website crispy cancer we're also linking his two books in the show notes So be sure to check both of those out, but we really get to hear an in-depth look of his personal experience with stage three colon cancer and the journey he took, what really helped him decide to not take a conventional approach, some of the roadblocks he hit along the way, and him and Dr. Keneally get to just corroborate a little bit on his experience with cancer from the patient perspective and then her experience from the integrative practitioner perspective. And we did sort of touch on at the end that there may hopefully be a part two to this interview because as we say, Dr. C and Chris could probably talk, have a whole conference on this topic. But with that, please enjoy this interview with Chris Wark. Well, Chris and Dr. C, welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank
1: you. Thank it's you. great
0: to be here. And we're so excited to have you on, Chris. First of all, you and Dr. C have a little bit of a history together, but also I'm sure many of our patients here at the center have heard of you, follow your platform. But for those who maybe have not heard of you before, can you go ahead and just share a little bit about your background and then life. Pre cancer and maybe life during cancer, and just a little bit of your story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26. And uh, leading up to that, I had been eating, a, you know, just the typical American diet tons of fast food, processed food, meat, and dairy. And, uh, and, I, and we know that, that those factors are contributors to many types of cancer. I didn't know this back then, but um, I was not living a healthy life at all. And uh, I started having abdominal pain earlier in the year in 2003. And I thought it maybe was an ulcer or something. I'd never had any, any uh, digestive issues or any sickness, any chronic illness of any kind. But I put it off for the better part of the year. And then Finally, the pain just sort of increasingly got worse and more frequent, and it was, just became a daily occurrence. And so went to the doctor, got referred to another doctor, and kind of got passed around until I ended up at the gastroenterologist's office. And he said, uh, he's like, well, I don't know, you know, the best thing we can do is just put a scope down your throat and one where the sun don't shine and uh, see if we see anything. And so that's what they did. And when I woke up from the colonoscopy, he said, you've got a golf ball sized tumor in your large intestine, the colon, and uh, you're gonna need surgery if it's cancer. And then within a couple days, they called and said, we got the biopsy back, it's cancer. So that started my journey. at that point in my life, I had no experience with cancer, no family history, no friends, really. I'd never seen anybody close to me go through it. And it was a very sort of distant, remote and mysterious disease to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was a typical cancer patient in the sense that uh, or maybe atypical, because I, I feel like I knew less about cancer than <laughs> most patients know. I, I went into it in complete and utter ignorance. Um, and uh, But I was scheduled for surgery, and I, and I just assumed that was what I needed to do. The doctor said, we got you got to have surgery. So I was like, okay. So um, they wanted me to have surgery within just a couple days of my diagnosis, which would have been right before Christmas. And so I was able to postpone that because I didn't want to be in the hospital on Christmas. I was already sort of depressing enough to get a cancer diagnosis, and I just wanted to spend a sort of a quote-unquote normal Christmas with my family and um, so I went in on December 30th and they cut out a third of my large intestine they of course that's where the tumor was and took out a bunch of lymph nodes and then when I woke up they said listen it's worse than we thought you're stage three we thought you were stage two we were hoping you would be stage two so because you're stage three you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. So things kind of got worse there, uh, then, you know, the news got worse and my prognosis was worse and um, I accepted the fact that, okay, well, this is my life, you know, I, th- I guess I'm the cancer patient.
0: Hmm.
2: But a couple things happened in the hospital that got the wheels turning a little bit. Um, the first thing was the very first meal that they served me after cutting out a third of my large intestine was a sloppy joe oh no and uh the sloppy joe is the food item that restaurants don't serve because nobody likes them (laughs) and uh as far as i knew at that time the only place you could get a sloppy joe would be like summer camp the military prison (laughs) and hospitals (laughs) (laughs) add that to the list right yeah and uh so that was a bit of a surprise. And uh, I just remember thinking like, gosh, why are they serving this horrible food to sick people? Then the other thing that happened was the day that they told me I could go home, my surgeon came in to to do, you know, to check on me and, and kind of let me know what to expect and uh, what my next steps were. And I said, Hey, you know, is there any food I need to avoid? Because I'm thinking, well, they just cut out a section of my intestines. Everything you eat is going through that tube, right, in your body. And I didn't want to eat the wrong thing. Like, I just wanted to make sure, like, is there any food that's off limits, right? And, uh, he was like, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. Oh, wow. So again, I was like, okay, that's it. Like, no, no diet advice at all. Just eat whatever I want. So that didn't make sense to me either. But I went home and, uh, you know, was recovering and trying to get off the pain medication and sort of trying to get back to normal. And and as I sobered up over a few days, uh, I started to really think about my life and my future and the gravity of my situation, right? Uh, because when you're on heavy pain medication, nothing seems as bad as it is. Right? <laughs> and uh, I became increasingly concerned that uh, I was going to end up like... Um, a few late stage cancer patients that I'd seen out in the world, you know, where, you know, everybody's seen someone that's late stage and it's, it's, you know, it leaves an impression on you. It's, Mm -hmm. it's scary to think about yourself in that person's shoes. And that's what I thought. I thought, is that what I'm going to become? Emaciated and, you know, no hair and just a shell of my former self. And so I had this sort of increasing internal resistance to doing chemotherapy, and I didn't uh, you know I didn't really have any idea why or what else to do, but I just in my core, I just felt like I was not ready for it. I wasn't strong enough for it, and um, it didn't feel right for me. So I prayed about it. My wife and I are Christians, and we, we, we pray. And so I just said, "God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, show me." Like, please show me. I don't know what to do. This doesn't feel right. I'm you know, I'm lost and scared and I need some direction. And two days later I got a book that was sent to me from a man who knew my dad, and this guy lives in Alaska. So he sends me this book by George Malcolmus. And George had found out he had colon cancer back in the seventies, and instead of having going with conventional treatment because he was a pastor and he'd seen a bunch of Friends and family members and church members and his mother go through cancer treatment and suffer and die. He he thought, well, I don't want to do that. And happened to have a friend who was a health nut who said, man, you need to you need to go back to the Garden of Eden and eat raw fruits and vegetables, and you should probably start juicing carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading his his book and his story, and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, and he was making the case for nutrition and the case making this case that most cancers are related to our diet and lifestyle and that when you change your diet and lifestyle, you can empower your body to heal and strengthen your immune system. And, and it all made so much sense. And so I got really excited. I called my wife, I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. I got this book and this guy healed his colon cancer and did a raw food diet and, and we gotta get a juicer. And like, I'm talking 90 miles an hour and she's, she's sitting in a cubicle, <laughs> you know, staring at an Excel spreadsheet You know, and just like the worst sort of office job (laughs) and not understanding what I was talking about and and really thinking I'd lost my mind. And so um, immediately after we got off the phone, family members started calling me to intervene (laughs) because my wife's family, like if you tell one person something, they all know. instantly there's Nash- no need for they don't even have to pick up the phone they just
1: national inquire right yeah
2: they just have this telekinetic <laughs> power and you know so anyway so now family members are calling and telling me like chris we heard you're thinking about not doing chemo and you know you need to do what the doctor says and um you know i know somebody who did all tried alternative therapies and then they died that kind of thing and so i mean all this was happening so fast i went from like elation and I was sitting on the couch crying because because i was so thankful that you know i felt like my prayer had been answered to you know people around me telling me no that's don't do that it's a mistake like whatever so that was i was difficult um but i knew i had to change my life and i didn't i didn't know what the future held but i knew i had a part to play in my health and i accepted responsibility for my health and i was excited and empowered to change my life right because so many patients they go to the doctor and they are you know they say why did I get cancer right they're looking for an for answers and and trying to piece together you know we live in a cause-and-effect world like what caused this what are the causes they're trying to get some kind of handle on how they ended up sick and most of the time they're told uh, well it's nothing you did and uh, it's probably just bad luck, or it may be genetic. And uh, they get a little pat on the back, and maybe a hug. And they're basically they're they're turned into into powerless victims of disease.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Nothing you did contributed to your disease. No, it wasn't your diet. No, it wasn't environmental toxins. No, it wasn't any of that. No, you just um, you just need to make sure that you show up for treatment. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. You don't need to change your diet. And so you don't need to stop smoking, you don't need to lose <laughs> weight, right? Don't need to stop drinking. Yeah. Like, There's nothing you can do to help yourself. And so that is the sad state of affairs in cancer treatment and most patients are, are literally completely disempowered and their hope in, in, is, is stolen from them. And uh, they're completely reliant on treatment, and that's it. And so I, uh, I, I didn't understand those things, again, back then. Um, so I decided to change my life and take control of my health and do everything in my power to help myself heal. And I didn't know what all to do, but I had a, a starting point, which was raw food diet okay, I'm doing it. This is, this sounds insane. I've never heard of the raw food diet before. Uh, in two, January 2004, which is when I was, you know, that time of my life, um, you know, there was no social media, there was no Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, none of that. There were there were, there, there wasn't a bunch of beautiful uh, young people posting pictures of themselves with giant bowls full of salad. And fruit mm-hmm. right on the beach <laughs> the raw food diet I quickly learned was a diet for sick people and weirdos
0: the club.
2: that was the club sick people and weirdos really fringe weirdos and uh, but I was I was excited about the prospects like what would happen if I overdosed on nutrition like what would happen if I just pumped my body full of the most nutritious foods three times a day, right? And every single day, it, something good has to happen. So I had that, at least that an, enough faith and belief uh, and and that what I was doing would help me in some way. And hopefully it would help me in a big way. So I converted to, to raw food diet overnight. I found a juicer, bought the juicer, bought a ton of carrots, filled up a cart full of produce from the, you know, uh, from the produce department, and I was on my way. Um, and you know, some things you can change very quickly in your life. Other things take time, but there's some some things you can change really quickly. You can change your diet really quickly. You can start exercising really quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? You can start exercising today. Like so, and some of the biggest levers that you can pull in in terms of cancer prevention and survival are things that you can do immediately and um so i set about this process of changing my life and started with the big obvious things and uh, meanwhile there was a bunch of family pressure to to do chemotherapy and so you know my wife and other people who love me uh but didn't understand um <laughs> We're just like, please, will you please go see the oncologist? You just go hear what he has to say. Maybe there's some alternative therapies available. You know, let's just go, go meet with him. So I'm like, okay. So we go to the clinic and it's, you know, it was just a bad scene. It was the, the, the clinic was packed. The waiting room was full uh, and it was a pretty big place. And I, when I walked in, I looked around and surveyed the waiting room because it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever gone to a new school, Right. Or like, in you, which I had a couple times in high school and you know, you kind of walk in the lunchroom and you're looking around like, uh, okay, who do I sit by? Are there any, anybody in here like me yeah. <laughs> that I can relate to? And, uh, and unfortunately in the cancer clinic, there were, there was no one in there like me, right? Everyone in there had gray hair, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, and I'm 26. Wow. And so that felt very str- and very strange. Uh, and um, I, it made me even more insecure about, you know, just like, oh, I got this freaky old people cancer at 26, like, great. Um, but anyway, we sit down, we're waiting to go back there, and the television is on, and it's one of the morning shows, and out comes Jack LaLanne. And Jack Lalane, for most people, you know, people my age and older pretty much know who he is, but... He was this, you know, one of the original health and wellness fitness gurus. Like he started back, you know, black and white TV, which I think was the 1940s. He had his own TV show about health and fitness. And so he comes out, he's pushing 90 years old. He's in great shape. uh, And he starts going off about nutrition and raw foods and juicing. And and I remember (laughs) I was just sitting there going, I can't believe this is on right now in the cancer clinic, like this is like a message for me. And uh, he said, if man made it, don't eat it. Wow. And uh, so that was like a one of what I call many miracles one of the many many miracles in my cancer journey but it was just at the absolute perfect moment when I needed a little extra encouragement. there it was. And so and by the way, I'll just I liken it to if you've ever gone hiking, if you've ever gone hiking, <laughs> Inevitably, there's always a point in the hike where you're like, are we lost? <laughs> <laughs> and but you know, you kind of carry on and eventually you see a sign or a marker and you're like, okay, no good, no no, this is the way. Okay, we're good. Let's just keep keep going. And that's how the cancer journey is, right? There's definitely days where you feel like, am I lost? Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right way? And then these little signs you know, come into your life to, to remind you and encourage you that you're on the right path. And so that was one of the first ones. And we go back and see the oncologist. And it was a, it was not a not a good visit. He was uh, a very, uh, he was very sort of um, robotic, you know, not mm-hmm. very caring or compassionate, I would say, at all, just sort of flipped through my chart and said, Okay, look, you're, you know, you're 26, you got colon cancer, it's very aggressive in young adults. and." Um, You're going to need chemotherapy, uh, 5-FU and Leucovorin, and uh, you've got about a 60% chance of living five years with treatment. And I remember just thinking in that moment, like 60% chance is pretty close to 50, which is a coin toss, essentially. Like, I'm not feeling very encouraged by these statistics. Um, And... So at some point in the conversation, I said, well, okay, um, what about the raw food diet? Because <laughs> I'd been on it for a week and I was feeling really good. Uh, I'd gotten over that hump. The first few days of a raw food diet, you kind of feel weird and low energy and you're you're detoxing and you're, uh, you're experiencing withdrawal from junk food and tons of meat and dairy and stuff and sugar and salt. But anyway, I'd gotten over that hump and I was like really starting to feel good on the raw food diet. So anyway... He said, uh, "He said, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. It'll fight the chemo." And then, uh, which I thought was weird. Uh, and then he, I said, "Well, are there uh, any alternative therapies, you know, available?" And at that point, his demeanor really changed. I mean, it only took two questions from me for this guy to turn into just a complete, you know, insert whatever expletive word you want. <laughs> into to describe him but he um, he just became very arrogant and condescending and just started using these fear tactics Mm. and said no if you don't do chemotherapy you're insane and then on and on he just kept talking and the more he talked the more fearful I got and it was like you know it was like peanuts like the teacher and peanuts where you know, she's just turned into like, wah, 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 you know, <laughs> like, I'm not hearing anything. I'm in such a state of fear. And, but the message was very clear. If you don't do chemo, you're going to die. That was it. And so we, we concluded that meeting. I walked to the desk, I made an appointment to start chemo, to get a port put in, uh, to start chemotherapy in a few weeks. And I, I was in such a state of fear. And my wife and I walked to her car and sat in her car and just held hands and cried and And I choked out a prayer and I was it was one of the lowest points of the entire journey for me was that day. And I just it was an important lesson that I learned that I was not my story was not at all unique in the in the fact that so many cancer clinics are just fear factories. They use so much fear to intimidate patients and to rush them into treatments they don't understand. And they, like I said earlier, make them into powerless victims. Don't give them any hope, right? It's like they give them this false hope, right? It's like this manufactured false hope uh, in, in that, that you know, treatment is going to save them by basically glossing over the fact that in most cases it won't, right? Mm-hmm. They, don't, they tell them all the good and none of the bad, that sort of deal. So I was so blessed and thankful that I had weeks before the port would get put in because I was still recovering from the surgery. So in that time, I just went home and fired up the juicer. You know, I was like, I didn't have anything else to do. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I I know I got to do this. I, I still believed it was helpful even though he said it would fight the chemo which later I learned was sort of a this is an old idea called um, the neutropenic diet they believe that if you, you you know if you're on chemo you can't eat anything raw because the bacteria might be a threat to your to your immune system and anyway uh, so it, you know in th- that was that was a really sort of pivotal time because I was changing my life this appointment was getting closer and closer and I was doing a lot of soul searching and praying and reading the word and talking to, you know, getting advice from people and just trying to figure out what my next steps were going to be. Because I knew it was I mean, it's a really big crossroads that I was at there. And it was kind of like, you know, the fork in the road. On one hand, you got this wide paved road that everybody's going down and it's like brightly lit and everybody's cheering you on and everybody supports you. And they're, you know, they're making t-shirts for you and baking cookies and, you and, you know, you, that's the road to the chemo train, right? It's beautiful and state-of-the-art uh, train and you get on there and everybody just tells you how strong and brave and courageous you are. And then off you go and the suffering starts mm-hmm. and there's no promise that you're going to get off at the end healthy and well. You know, there's a, there's a, a real possibility they're going to drop you off at some point and say, we're sorry we've done all we can do. And then the other option is this path into the jungle that you have to hack your way through alone. And that was scary too, mm-hmm. right? No support. You got no support. You're all on your own. And uh, everyone around you tells you it's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Like those are my two options. Right. And I, I did not like either one. And, um, but I knew that jungle path, you know, I knew that was the path I had to take. It was like I prayed and I asked for something and that was the, that's what popped up. That was like the alternate path. And uh, so I had a I had to step out in faith into the unknown if I was going to go that way. And I had to trust that God was going to see me through it. Mm-hmm. And I had to, and I had a, a small, small sense that, well, maybe if I can get through it, you know, maybe I can, you know, help or encourage other people. Maybe I can be a light, you know, maybe I can help illuminate their path. And, um, so the day came for the port and I woke up that morning and I was just like, I'm not going. Wow. (laughs) My wife went to work and she didn't know what I was going to do. And I was just like, I'm not going, I'm not going. And so Uh, I thought that would be the end of it, but little did I know, they don't let you get away that easy. (laughs) So they're calling the house, you know, they start leaving messages every day, excuse me, every day. And they're, and to the point where I stopped, I didn't want to, we had the old fashioned answering machines, you know, like the machine Mm. sitting next to your phone with the blinking red light. And I would get, go out and get work done and stuff and come back. And every time the light was blinking, I didn't want to, I wouldn't play it. I didn't want to hear another message from the nurse at the clinic or whatever telling me, you know, that I missed my appointment. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they sent a certified letter that I had to sign for, which was the first time I didn't have to sign for a letter, which seemed really serious and important. And then I open it and it's like, Mr. Wark, you missed your appointment. We're very concerned about your health. Please contact us immediately. And, uh, and I didn't. And then they left me alone. <laughs> 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 but... But I mean, the stress of it, you know, was pretty intense. And, you know, I was so, I became so obsessed with changing my life and, and doing everything in my power to help myself uh, that, and I was trying to, you know, drag my, my wife along with me, right? And she was very resistant to it all in the beginning. Um, although that appointment with the oncologist really started to change her mind because he treated us so badly.
1: Mm.
2: So that was actually important for her to see that. Uh, I think, too, because she just was like so put off by the way he talked to us. Um, but, you know, I was trying to encourage her to, to you know, go go all raw with me and juicing and all this kind of stuff, and it wasn't going well. And at one point she said, I don't like the person you're becoming.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And that was really hard, right? That was really, really hard because I was like trying everything to change my life. And I just wanted her to be with me, you know, on the journey and she just wasn't there yet. And so I just realized, okay, like it's just got, I just have to focus on me and I've got to take care of myself. And I just can't worry about the people around me, what they think. I just have to do this for me. And I'm doing that. And I was very clear. I'm doing this. And I said this to her, I said, you don't understand. I'm doing this because I want to live. That's why I'm doing this. And so, I uh, within a couple days after that horrible oncology appointment, I I went and saw a naturopath that my mom knew, and that was a completely different experience. Like he was totally his place was so peaceful, and the spirit there was just so different. And he, you know, he was so kind, and he prayed with me, and we just had a just a. He was the first person to tell me you're doing the right thing.
0: Hmm.
2: And uh, that was huge. I mean, just to have somebody say you're doing the right thing. And he, he was very familiar with the raw food diet. He had read the book that I had read. He, he knew all about it. Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I'm so thankful. And then he connected me with an integrative oncologist and so then i met with him doctor the late dr roy page and dr page was a man who had um spent an entire career uh, as a conventional oncologist surgical oncologist and uh, then retired and then went back to practicing because he didn't like being retired and he just felt better working physically I think he had some kind of health issues. I'm not sure what they were, but he just felt better when he was working. And so he started practicing again, but but he changed his practice and he decided he wanted to really focus on, you know, integrative therapies and non-toxic therapies. And uh, he still had patients that he was giving chemotherapy to and stuff like that, Conventional conventionally treating patients. But any patient that wanted something different, he was completely open and supportive. And so he was doing IV vitamin C, for example, and other things. So. Uh, i saw him and it was just again just this sweet man in his 70s who who supported my decision right he was willing to work with me on my terms mm-hmm. and i think that's such a such an important part of the doctor patient relationship that that you find a doctor who supports you and that's willing to work with you on your terms and is not trying to bully you into the treatment that they think is best for you you know that you you want them to tell you what they think is best but then you also want them to accept what you want to do and um that's how he was and so my, i slowly you know cobbled together a little support system and i have to give credit to my mom because she was in the beginning the only person who supported me and she mm-hmm. she is an avid information consumer and had read hundreds not exaggerating hundreds of health and wellness books since the <clears throat> since the 1970s and had never gotten rid of any of them so she had this huge library of books from, uh, I mean, all the Paul Bragg books, Pavo Areola, like raw food books, juicing books, alternative cancer treatment books, Dr. Lorraine Day, Dr. Richard Schultz, like all these incredible resources if for that she just saved up apparently for me. And so that was another, you know, again, miracle that I had access to this library of health and wellness books. I mean, she's there, and a lot of them are behind me on this bookshelf, you know, The Miracle of Rebound Exercise, uh, you know, Fred Klenner's book on vitamin C, The Grape Cure by Joanna Brandt, all these incredible books. So anyway, uh, all that to say, like, it was, you know, it was pretty rough going there in the beginning, and changing your life is not really easy, right? It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy, and it's a little rough getting, getting, traction, and getting organized, and, and finding a support system. But if you take action and make the effort, things will come together, right? And when you, when you step out in faith into the unknown, I mean, that's where miracles happen, mm-hmm. right? That's where they happen. They don't happen in the safe zone. They happen in the danger zone, you know, when you need them. That's when it's like, yeah, that's when things come into your life that you, you would never expect. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I created a system for myself that was just maximizing my daily nutrition and exercising every day and then removing, detoxifying, just removing any toxic crap from our home, right? And from my life. And then once I got that stuff out of the way, then I started to really focus on the mental and emotional stuff. And I realized, you know, I've, I kept coming across this theme as I was going from book to book and some cassette tapes and you know, VHS tapes. There was no good information on the Internet. It was all <laughs> books and tapes. Yeah, uh, you know, there's this theme that kept coming up about bitterness and unforgiveness and, and negative emotions and stress and how they contribute to cancer and, and other disease. And uh, I, I kept thinking like, well, that's not for me. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm good. Like, I'm not stressed. I'm like, I, you know, I'm cool. But, uh, but it kept coming up. You know, (laughs) I kept coming across it. It wasn't just one person's opinion. And like, I kept seeing it over and over. And so finally, I'm okay, maybe there's something to this. I don't want to leave any stone unturned. So let me just sort, dig through my life and my past and make sure I don't have any, you know, Resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness towards people in my past, and let me examine my thoughts. Maybe I'm, maybe I could be better about the way that I think. And I and I realized that I had a, I was a mess. I was insecure. I was prideful. I was arrogant. I was just like, uh, uh, I was uh, judgmental and cynical. And um, even though I was ambitious, right, I still had all these negative, you know, sort of patterns, thought and emotional patterns, and. I did have a lot of bitterness and resentment toward people in my past. Mm -hmm. And um, so I realized, okay, I got to just work through this stuff. I've got to change the way I think. I've got to catch myself when I'm thinking negatively. I've got to choose to think positively. And in the cancer process, like the the most one, of the most powerful things you can do, not just cancer, but is to practice gratitude. And I know gratitude is sort of like a, a like a hippie buzzword or whatever everybody's, you know, like, oh, gratitude, like put it on a meme or something. <laughs> but um, gratitude is, is a very simple thing. When you are, and it only works really, I mean, I feel like it works best <clears throat> when you least want to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when you're angry, when someone has upset you, when something goes wrong in your life, right, and you're really getting, you know, you just you're just getting worked up emotionally about things that are not going right and you're getting upset, if you stop in that moment and say, wait a second, let me just count my blessings real quick, right? What have I got in my life that's good, that I've got to be thankful for? So I'm like, okay, I can, I can see, I can hear, I can get out of bed, I can walk, I can work, I can eat, I've got a wife who loves me, we have a home, our bills are paid, we have enough money to pay the next set, you know, that's coming um, and on and on and on, right? And so as I start to count my blessings, all of a sudden my, my my attitude and my emotions and my perspective changes like in an instant. That's gratitude. Like that's what practicing gratitude looks like. When it When things get hard, you have to step back and say, wait a second, I've got so much in my life that's good. Let me focus on the good in my life. And because that's going to outweigh the bad mm-hmm. every time. But it's easy to let that one bad thing like ruin our whole day, you know? So I started getting in the habit of doing that. And I realized the, my most powerful gratitude statement that's in this book right here at Beat Cancer Daily um, is right now. There's someone dying in the hospital that would give anything to trade places with you. Mm. Wow. That's all I need. Just I just remind myself of that, I'm good. Right? I'm good. So whatever I'm whatever I'm pissed off about sort of evaporates. <laughs> yeah,
0: he really puts it into perspective, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So so that was, you know, that's work right? That's mental work, mental, breaking bad mental habits, bad thought habits and bad thought patterns. So I just had to work on that. And I still work on it, right? I'm not, have not achieved perfection, but, um, and then I decided to forgive every person who had ever hurt me. And that meant, you know, really taking time to think through my life, you know, sitting down in a quiet place, you can do it with your eyes open, your eyes closed. It doesn't really matter, but, just thinking through your life and, and letting the memories of, of people who've hurt you come up and then dealing with them one by one and the way I would deal with them and it, by the way it doesn't matter if, if they're seeming insignificant if you remember it you might as well deal with it you know if some if some kid made fun of you one time on the playground right but you remember it like it stuck with you uh, then Let's just go ahead and deal with it and forgive that person. So, I uh, so I did that, and I would just say, God, you know what they did? You know how I feel about it. You know, I, I still kind of hurts, right? I'm still mad. I'm still upset, or whatever. Um, but I'm choosing to forgive them, and I'm letting it go, and I'm giving it to you. Hmm. They're all yours, and I'm asking you to bless them which is the hardest part
0: Yeah, because
2: you don't want them to be blessed, <laughs> right? You want them to, to suffer uh, some, some really painful, you know, uh, experience uh, that you get to watch. Yeah. You know, you want them to like trip and fall down a cliff into some thorn bushes and then get trampled <laughs> by a, you know, wild boar or something. <laughs> right? Like that's what you want. And then hit by a lightning bolt. Um, (laughs) But but that's so powerful when you just act, when you just make a conscious decision. I forgive them, God, they're all yours. I'm letting go of this and I'm asking you to bless them. And it's not insincere, by the way. He knows you don't want them to be blessed, right? God knows that you don't have to, you're not faking it. But what you're doing is you're asking him to bless them in spite of your feelings. Mm-hmm. which is really powerful, right? It's like you saying, I don't want you to, but I'm asking you to anyway. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm telling you, that will heal your heart. I that will it... just crack it open. And and you just let, let God come in and heal it. And he will. And so that was, that was what I worked through. I just forgave everybody in my life one by one. And it didn't happen in one sitting. It's just as things would come up and I would remember things. And, you know, I had friends in my life that betrayed my trust or turned on me. I had people cheat me and lie to me and steal from me. And all kinds of stuff happened when I was young. And then when I was a young person in business and in real estate and stuff. And so uh, I was a real estate investor and had rental properties, and I was a landlord, I had so many people like lie to me and steal from me, like vandalize my houses. And like, I mean, it was just over and over. And so I I got, I got, I became really good at forgiveness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would do it really quickly, you know, and I just, and I, and I also realized something really incredible. And that is that well, one of the first verses that came to me when I was diagnosed with cancer was Romans 8:28, which says God works all things for the good of those who love him. And I was like, okay, well, if God works all things for my good, I'm going to believe I'm just going to choose to believe that he is going to work bad things for my good. And that was very encouraging to me with the cancer diagnosis. He's going to work this for my good. Hmm. I just chose to believe it. I didn't know how, but I chose to believe it. And I apply that to everything in life. And so whenever people do me wrong, I just, I realize, you know what? God's going to work this for my good. And they just set me up for blessing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't like what they did, but they set me up for a blessing. I'm going to expect it. It's coming. And, uh, okay. I'm okay with it. So, uh, the, the short, to shorten the story, I, created this healing routine and I just stuck with it. I found an integrative oncologist and he monitored my blood work and did CT scans and and I did everything I could find and afford to help myself heal. And over time, I just got healthier and stronger and I prevented this recurrence that everyone said was uh, uh, basically a certainty mm-hmm. for stage 3C colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And so whatever cancer cells were remaining in my body, my I empowered my immune system to to handle. And so uh, here I am. Yeah. 17 I, years later.
0: I think one of the interesting things is that like so many of the patients Dr. Keneally sees here, you did not have a great support group when you were looking for those alternative treatments. And I'm actually really curious, Dr. Keneally, what your experience has been When you see patients who are coming in, they don't have that support group, what is helping them make that actual decision to then commit to an alternative route?
1: Right, well, first of all, it's not an alternative route, I call it. It is the route because we're finding in medicine today uh, in two studies, British Medical Journal and Cleveland Clinic published that a functional integrative medical approach is far superior to a conventional approach. Unfortunately, the conventional doctors that are out there, and I am a conventional medical doctor, is that they are stuck in a label, diagnosis drug paradigm and nothing else exists. And unfortunately, the myths and disinformation out there that patients are seeing and doctors are getting, because doctors have to go back to school and learn the new medicine that's out there. In fact, in the last 10 years, what we have seen and discovered is that there are so much that the patient, like Chris did, they took responsibility and they read, obviously the opposite of what the oncologist is reading And unfortunately, the tactics for cancer patients are fear and intrepidation to the nth degree. And patients come in in so much trauma and drama, they they can't make any decision, unfortunately. And the doctors are scaring patients to death, unfortunately, and uh, we have to unravel this drama and trauma that they are experiencing and try to, I don't sell people, I don't try to convince people, I just teach and educate patients why something may work or may not work. Or if you do this surgery, these are the preamble things that we must do because surgery is injurious and immunosuppressive because there are situations where surgery is warranted, like Chris made that decision and it was a good decision. And why would we want to do a surgical procedure? Because tumors are immunosuppressive and they're sending out abnormal signals to your immune system. So surgery is warranted. Chemo and radiation have to be individualized. I rarely use chemotherapy, but if people have stage four cancer and it's riddling their body and anatomically challenging their system, then I may have to do low-dose chemo to shrink the tumor burden so we can do all the other collateral things. But if we do chemotherapy here in our clinic, whether the patient chooses low-dose or conventional, I tell them, here are all the countermeasures so that your body can even handle chemo because when you give chemotherapy, it's destruction to every cell. So that's why it affects the brain, the liver, the kidney, the heart, the immune system. And then unfortunately, chemo only partially works because you have chemo-resistant cells and chemo-sensitive cells all at the same time. And every cancer patient, their diagnosis is not like anybody else's. You have a unique cancer genome and your mutations are not like the next person with colon cancer or breast cancer or lymphoma or whatever the label is. So therefore, if you have all this heterogeneous aspects to the cancer and the extreme biodiversity, that means you cannot rely on surgery, chemo or radiation because the cells to begin with are just unique to you. They're not like anybody else. And so patients are not educated because I have not met a patient who said that their oncologist said, oh, we need to understand why, where, when, and how you have your cancer. (laughs) We need to get to all the root causes. And these are all the things that I'd like you to do and change in your life and no one addresses stress on the cancer patient and unfortunately we just ramrod patients through the conveyor belt of surgery chemo and radiation and never take the mental human spiritual physical countenance of the patient and support them like here we're a community our patients all help each other they love each other They share information together. It's beautiful. Our system in the Cancer Center for Healing, it's all open so the patients can help and support each other. And so they know they're all doing the same thing. And I know some patients may choose to do some surgery or chemo and radiation, but I tell them, if you don't do anything for yourself, you must address the way you are living and the way you are thinking and we know the traumatic effects that we have experienced we are bioaccumulating stress and tr- stress and trauma and drama and those are recordings that are playing in your DNA and then you're programming your cells like Chris was saying every day, he lives in gratitude. He turns every problem into a gratitude practice. And if everybody lived like that, then they would experience radical healing. And this is all validated, you know, you can look at PubMed studies everywhere. This is all a real thing. And uh, the, the medical profession needs to understand and learn and execute these living practices that we know work.
2: That's why I love you so much, Dr. Cornelius. Um, you know, you're 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 such a pioneer and a and an innovator and a hero in, in medicine to me because so many doctors don't think like you like you. They just don't have that perspective, that holistic health perspective and um i say this all the time but healing happens at home healing happens at home and so what are you doing at home to help yourself heal right you can do the treatments and the therapies and all kinds of stuff but then you go home so you know what you're doing in between treatments whatever they are uh, can make all the difference between survival and death it's, it's your daily choices, your thoughts and your actions and your diet and exercising, forgiveness, like all of those things add up to be a massive impact in your life and health if you embrace them, if, if you embrace change. I once heard a cancer patient say, I'm not going to let cancer change me. And that sounds like a real tough, courageous pronouncement, right? Like oh yeah you're strong you you're tough I'm not gonna let cancer change me and I and but you know when I heard it I immediately understood like this the sort of superficial uh, you know interpretation of that but to me I thought oh man that is the worst possible way you can approach this cancer has to change you mm-hmm. it has to you have to change it's the wake up call in your life it's the divine tap on the shoulder saying like the way you're living is killing you <laughs> you have to change and so i call it the beat cancer mindset but it, it it's it the beat cancer mindset involves taking full responsibility for your health being willing to change your entire life enjoying the process and um believing you can get well mm-hmm. you know if you believe you can get well and uh, dr Connelly i'd love to hear your thoughts on this Um, you know, I think the whole, the whole journey, if, if it's going to be a successful journey of recovery and health and restoration of health, um, I believe the patient has to first and foremost, believe they can get well.
1: And to think they are worthy and deserving of being well. That's another thing. So, and then unfortunately the people around them also need to think. That. They need to declare victory on their loved one, and like you were saying earlier in your trial, everybody thought you were crazy. Okay, and this yeah. is another thing that I deal with with patients. My family says I have to do this. My family, oh my God, everyone's saying da 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 da, and I'm like, okay, you you have to talk to God and say, God, give me divine direction, because there isn't any human being on the planet that has all the answers to the universe. But it becomes, you have to be happy with your decision and you have to know the ramifications of all your decisions. You know, Deepak Chopra said years ago, if you make a decision, you change the future. And so we've got to make sure that we're on the right decision path. And that's why I like the Square One program because it walks patients through the path and helps them, they have to make the final decision, what they think is best for them, but we have to study and study and study, like you did, like I do every single day. We have to study our, our what our subject is, and our subject is the untold mind, body, and spirit, and how we can affect the best changes and implement the best changes in our daily life, our minute to minute consciousness of, 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 being.
2: Yeah. It's believing you can get well is huge feeling, make, you know, finding the will to live and getting clear on what you have to live for is so huge. And that worthiness component, you know, fits right in there because uh, yeah you know some cancer patients they don't they feel like they don't deserve health they don't deserve happiness they don't deserve life they feel when they get the diagnosis it's almost like a relief a relief to them because you know maybe they've been struggling with depression or their life hasn't gone very well and all of a sudden it's like oh this is my way out hmm. you know or I finally got what I deserve cancer right because they've been in such a pattern of beating their themselves up and and maybe they've been beat up you know by life and by other people uh metaphorically and and even uh literally and uh and so it's it is difficult with some people based on their life experience uh to convince them that they are worthy <laughs> you know it can be a real challenge but but this is what i just what I want to encourage everyone listening with cancer is like, you have to, number one, you got to believe you can get well. And number two, you have to want to get well, right? You have to believe it's possible. It is. And number two, you have to decide, do you want to live? Yes or no? And why do you want to live? What do you have to live for? For me, when I was 26, I got really clear on it. One, I wanted to live because I felt like... <laughs> Part of me was like, I don't want to be the guy, the young guy who died of cancer story. Okay. like I didn't really want that to be my legacy. Like, oh, Chris Work, Oh, great guy. Yeah. What a shame. Got cancer and died in his 20s. Right. Okay. Didn't really want that to be my story. But beyond that, I wanted to live, like I wanted to experience a full life. And I was at 26, it's like, I am haven't done anything, you know, I'm barely an adult. <laughs> and. Uh, But, but more important than both of those things was my mom and dad and my wife, right? I'm an only child and my wife and I dated for six years and we were married for two at that point. And I just could not bear the thought of those three people putting me in the ground. Mm. That was such a painful scenario for me to imagine. And look. I'm a pretty big deal to three people. Okay. <laughs> a really big deal to my mom and dad and to my wife. Like that much I know. And so I had to live for them. That was it. I had to live for my parents and for my wife. And something else really wonderful that happened in the process is, you know, cancer has this way of sort of, uh, giving you, it just cuts this dividing line in your life where you realize everything that matters and everything that doesn't. And you realize the things that matter is a very short list of things that really matter. And you know, it's like that the old expression, you know, the healthy person cares about everything and the sick person only cares about one thing, getting well. And so uh, I got really clear on my priorities really fast about what really mattered. And that was why it was so easy for me to eliminate some of the other things from my life, right? And just focus on getting well. Um, but in that process, I realized I wanted to be a dad.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, I, I just, you know, I was always assumed I would I would be a dad one day. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, if I want to be a dad, I guess I better get busy. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and so I talked to my wife about it, and she she did one of the most courageous things of any person I know. She, she said yes to start a family with me, not knowing if I would be around to help raise this child. Wow. And so we started trying to get pregnant and she got pregnant, you know, right away pretty quickly in, in spring of 2004. And then in January, uh, of 2005, I was back in the hospital. Uh, and this time I was holding a beautiful baby girl
0: oh, wow. oh, that's so in beautiful. my arms.
2: And like, it just, now I have four things to live for, <laughs> <laughs> right? So that increased my motivation, right? Even more. Uh, and even just her getting pregnant, right? Just made me really double down on how committed I was to life and health and survival. And, um, and so now that little baby girl is 16, uh, wow. She's driving a car. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah. And so, and we had another girl a uh, few years after her uh, and she's 13. So I've got two Teenagers. teenage girls in the house and uh, most days are still pretty fun.
0: Yeah. So the two the question that I'll close us out on, because Dr. C, I know you've got <laughs> patients. You've got to go see. From both of you, I just want to hear real quick if you were to leave, you know, for whoever's listening to this right now, if they have cancer, what would be a piece of advice that you would want to send them off with?
2: Well, I feel like I've dropped a lot of advice already, but, but I guess I could close with this is that, um, you have options, you know, you have options. You may not have been told you have options, If you're seeing Dr. Keneally, then you've been told you have options, but (laughs) you're seeing a conventional oncologist. You, you may have been told there's one option and one option only. And the reality is there's so much out there for you. There's so much information and resources out there available to you to help you take control of your life and your health. And if you really want to get well, then you have to not only be willing to change your life and give up all the, you know, all the things in your life that are hurting you that are promoting disease but you have to you gotta you gotta get educated you've got to take the time to read and research and listen to interviews and seek out information and knowledge because you're not going to be able to make an informed decision the best decision for you without information and if you don't have enough information then I would wait. You know, don't make a decision if you don't have enough information, right? Just say, I need more information, <laughs> okay? Okay, Doc, I need to go and learn a little bit more. Don't let anyone rush you into anything out of fear. That's so important. Don't be rushed in out of fear. You need to approach your next steps with faith and facts and confidence. Mm-hmm. And and I get it, fear is a real thing and it's always trying to creep in and. Anytime I got afraid, I would ha- just have to give my fear to God and say, I trust you, giving you my fear. you know, I'm just not going to just exist in a perpetual state of fear. Even in the scariest time of my life, I just had to quickly learn how to give God my fear. But but beyond that, just understanding that there's there is so much information out there for you that can help you. And that's why I started ChrisBeatCancer.com. It's just a repository of interviews. Of course, I've interviewed Dr. Keneally so many doctors that are integrative. I've interviewed a ton of people who've healed cancer against the odds, all types and stages. Uh, There's so much resources and encouragement and information there for you. And of course, I've written two books and I have a course called Square One. So, you know, the last 11 years of my life have really been dedicated to being a patient advocate and trying to be what I thought maybe I would be in a small way is just to be a light in the dark Mm -hmm. for people you know, just to be a light in the dark, just to help somebody navigate, just to help them at least find that next step, right? Because it's like each step is illuminated once you take it, then you can kind of see the one, the next, the next step, you know, but you have to step out into the dark, out in faith. So that's my advice. It's a kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of all over the place advice, but
1: <laughs> no, that was great. no, I, I agree with you. It's just, you have to tell the patient, you've got to study the the issue and, and the health interruption that has been given to you and say, I am going to sort this out. And all the books, whether it's my book, your book, other books, they're all saying the same thing. Guy, tell patients, I said, there's not a book that says that Oreos are good and eating at McDonald's is good. They all talk about what we eat, how you move, how you think. I mean, there isn't and so i know people are overwhelmed a lot of people say oh my god i've read so many things i've listened to so many things and i'm like yeah but they're probably all saying a similar message and yeah. so if you just start with one thing it takes time to change i tell people it takes about a year for you to get your life in order it's n- there's no one night wonder there's no overnight yeah. sensation i don't have a magic trick in my back pocket it takes due diligence commitment and more importantly, execution.
2: Yeah, I love what you said, too. And th- Look at the common threads, right? Look at that's what I did. Look at the common threads that everyone is repeating. And like if you're yes, it's easy to get bogged down in the little opinions that differ, right? There's little everybody. Nobody agrees on everything. But look at the major themes between every cancer survivor story, right? Between all the integrative and health and wellness practice, look at the major themes that they're all telling you to do. Like, start with those. Right? Right. Yeah. Do if you aren't doing even those things, then you're really not doing anything for yourself. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, Chris, Dr. C, thank you both so much. I'm sure the two of you could just talk all day long. (laughs) For sure. Back and forth, but we will, Dr. C, we will let you get off to your patients. And again, Chris, just thank you so, so much. I know this is going to be such an expansive, inspiring episode for anyone who listens to it.
2: Thank you both so much. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again, Dr. Keneally.
0: Okay. Thank
1: you, Chris.